Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. If you're there, say amen. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. John chapter 19 and verse number 30. They had just taken a sponge filled with vinegar, put it on a hyssop branch, and put it to the mouth of Jesus. And John 19 and 30 said that when he received the vinegar or when he realized that it was vinegar, he made this statement. It's the most powerful three words, in my opinion, in the scripture. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He said, it is finished. I want to preach to you today from that one word, finished. Finished. God, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the prayers of your saints. I pray today, God, that your word would come alive to us in a way we have never seen or experienced. God, that your presence would meet us in this house. And that you, O oh Lord, would be glorified above all else. And we give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Look at your neighbor and tell him this morning, wake up. you got to help pastor preach. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. It's a great day to be a child of God. This is a very special time of year. You won't see it on your calendar, more than likely. But on... What some people call the Jewish calendar, or what I like to call God's calendar, we are in a very important time of the year. We have just came through the Feast of Trumpets, which I've preached to you so many times about the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, it's something very important. People ask me why it's important for us to understand the Feast and the Word of God. and You know, it's been completely neglected. To be honest with you, we live in a generation that feels like everything in the church ought to be unhitched from the Old Testament and that there's no life in that. But the Word of God tells us that if we literally, Paul said, if I did not have the law, I wouldn't even know what sin was. He said, I, I wouldn't have even known that I was a sinner. And so the Lord, the Lord speaks to his people in many different ways. And I have said many times, I don't have time to preach on it this morning, but I've said many times, if you really want to know more about who Jesus is, you need to have a, a clear understanding of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The tabernacle in the Old Testament uh, was not just something that God gave Moses. As a matter of fact, the tabernacle uh, is a sign on the earth of things that are established in heaven. In other words, the Bible said that it's the heavenly pattern. When Jesus came and dwelt among us in John 1 and 14, the Bible said that the earth, that the word was made flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt is tabernacled, that 
the, the word of God was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus Christ was literally the tabernacle of heaven on the earth. That's why he would make statements that would just infuriate the Pharisees when he would say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was speaking tabernacle language. As you came through the gate, the Jews knew that was the way. As you came to the holy place, they knew that as the truth. When you walked in, you, you walked through the five posts, which is so powerful. If you want to just start looking for types and shadows, they're everywhere. You walk through the one gate. How many, how many ways are there into the kingdom? There's one gate. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the gate. He said, if any man comes in any other way, he's a thief and a robber. And, and, and you walk through that tabernacle. It's so powerful. I wish we could preach the whole thing today. But as you came inside, the first thing you saw was that altar of sacrifice. This is repentance. The next thing you saw was the, the laver, the water. What is this? This is baptism. And then you walk into the holy place, and you've got the table of, of incense. You've got the table of shoe bread. Uh, the altar of incense, the table of shoe bread, and the golden candlesticks on your left. What is this? This is the working of the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of God. It's the sevenfold working of the Spirit of God. It's powerful. You get beyond the veil, and you've got uh, the holiest of holies. You've got the mercy seat. Anybody here thankful that we know what mercy looks like? Later on, when Solomon built the temple... He did it after the same pattern, and he said that everything inside that, so if, if you could physically walk behind the veil of the temple, when you, when you opened the veil, which was impossible to do from man's perspective, but if you could open that veil and walk in, everything on every wall in there was polished gold. In other words, it would literally be like walking into a room full of mirrors. It was just a mirrored room. And when you opened that veil and looked inside that mirrored room, the only thing that you could see when you looked in every direction was mercy and blood. This is so powerful. To understand who he really is, you need to understand the tabernacle. To truly understand the times that we live in, I believe people should have at least a grasp on the feast. Well, pastor, we shouldn't do that. They're the feast of the Jews. Find me one place that says that in the Bible. They're not the feast of the Jews. They're the feast of the Lord. We don't have to keep the feast. It's not salvific. We don't keep the feast, but there's information in these feasts if you want to keep them. I believe, uh, just, just coming through Rosh Hashanah, I believe that this is, this is a powerful thing for us to understand in the fall feast, Rosh Hashanah being the feast of trumpets. All of the blast again, I don't have time to go through all of this. I'm just trying to lay some groundwork for you as to where we are. But the, the very last blast, the Tegia Hagadola, uh, that they, they sound with the shofar during the Feast of Trumpets. In English, we would call that the last trump. It's the, it's the long blast, the last trump. And I believe that's exactly the language that the apostle was talking about when he said, at the last trump. That the Lord himself was going to descend from heaven with a shout. I believe that the Lord does everything with order. If you've been around my ministry at all, I've preached it. He fulfilled all of the spring feasts. The Passover, he, he fulfilled all of that. I believe that to an extent he fulfilled in the fall feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. I believe when he came and tabernacled among us. I believe we're going to see it again. I don't have time to go there. But I do believe that... Uh, Yom Kippur, which is what I'm going to talk to you about today, has been fulfilled. 
And in my opinion, the last feast that has to fully be fulfilled would be the Feast of Trumpets. Why does that matter? Because I believe, no man knows the day or the hour, but I believe that if the Lord does everything in order as he did everything else in his life, I believe there's a good chance that the Lord is going to return for his church during the Feast of Trumpets. I'm going to live every day of my life like the Lord could come right now. I believe that some folks say, well, you know, Pastor, they've been preaching the coming of the Lord for almost 2,000 years. That's a good reason not to stop because we're almost 2,000 years closer to his coming than we were when they started. Some would say that means he's not coming. I'd say it means we're closer than we've ever been. That we, we've got to prepare ourselves. If we ever get away from preaching the imminent return of Christ, then I believe the purpose for the church's existence ceases to matter at all. We are preparing the bride of Christ to be ready for that rapture day. Do you want to be rapture ready? And so now we have come to, and I, I, I sure don't want to bore you this morning, so I'm not going to stay in the depths of this for a long time. But we have come to Yom Kippur, which is known as the Day of Atonement. That begins today. Uh, they are already preparing for this in Israel. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. What, what, what is atonement, Pastor? That's a big word. What does it mean? You know, it really just means to make reparation for wrongdoing or injury. It means to make things right. However, for reparation to take place, forgiveness must happen first. So we can look at forgiveness as the topsoil, if you would, for the seed of which reparation can take root and flourish and grow. That if God is going to cleanse us from our sins, our sins must be forgiven. And this is so powerful. Forgiveness is a major ordeal in the lives of people. I would dare say, and I, I wish this weren't true because I want us to all be as close to perfect as we can be, but I would dare say that this room today in its entirety is filled with unforgiveness. There's a lot of people in this room today carrying unforgiveness for things that you didn't even realize you were carrying, but it's a heavy weight in your life that every time you try to take a step forward and do something for God, it's that, that one thing that blocks you, it's that one memory, it's that one image that's burned in your mind when you try to do something for God. You say, I would, and it's just like the man at the pool, I would, but I have no man. In other words, the man said, it's everybody else's fault that I haven't been made whole. I'm bitter at other people because I'm broken. The Lord didn't ask him whose fault it was. The Lord asked him, will you be made whole? But in order to be made whole, you have to understand the value of forgiveness. I was reading something, I, I don't know whether I would agree or disagree, but I felt like it was pretty powerful a leading secular psychiatrist, uh, his name is Dr. Carl Menninger. I read this this week, and it kind of shook me to my socks. He made this statement. He said that forgiveness is one of the most critical needs of humanity. Now, I want you to listen very closely to what I'm about to tell you. He went as far as to say that if he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, I quote, 75% could walk out the next day. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that this psychiatrist is alluding to the idea 
that psych wards are filled with people who have literally gone crazy over unforgiveness. That's a broad statement that 75%, three quarters of the people that are in there could be released tomorrow if they realized truly that their sins were forgiven. Well, I want to tell you that in my opinion to Mr. Menninger, this is probably just a theory. But to those of us who understand the power of the blood of Jesus, we understand that our sins being forgiven is not a theory at all. But we are walking in the grace and the mercy of God today. I stand before you to tell you, you don't have to wonder if your sins could be forgiven. You can leave here today knowing that though your sins were red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. His statement really shocks us into realizing how powerful, even primal, the need for forgiveness really is. Why? I'll tell you why. We have learned in the last three and a half years how we were wired and what happens when that is taken away from us. We were designed for connectedness. We were designed for relationships. We were designed to be together. As a matter of fact, one of the first things the Lord said when he made man and he was by himself, he said, it's not good. For man to be alone. The will of God is for us to be together. Now it's going to get uncomfortable in here for just a second. But I would dare say that unforgiveness has kept more people apart than the seven seas. I would say there are more people that have been kept apart by unforgiveness then the finances to make the trip to go see the people that you need to forgive. Woo! We like when I preach miracle signs and wonders, don't we? Let me preach something that's going to change your life. Unforgiveness toward others, ourselves, and even God lead to the counter idea of what we were created for. For connection, for fellowship, for being together. Unforgiveness leads to disconnection and separation. And separation is the root of most pain. John, when he was on the Isle of Patmos, he had made the statement, I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in truth. We don't know anything about his wife, but apparently he had children because he said, my children walk in truth. And as he's sitting on the Isle of Patmos and he's talking about the end times and the revelation of Jesus Christ, he makes this statement. He says, there's coming a day that there will be no more sea. That doesn't make a lot of sense until you realize where he's sitting. He's sitting on Patmos surrounded by the sea. And it's the sea that's keeping him from being connected to his family that he has joy in. He said someday this sea is going to be removed and we're going to be connected again. John was trying to let us know there is value in being together. And separation brings pain in our lives. It's a prison of isolation and separation, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, that brings us to so many problems. It's like the, the core roots and issue of problems in people's life. For John the Baptist, a prison of isolation made him begin to question the very doctrine that he was born to preach in the world. 
John the Baptist was born as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He stood in the river as Jesus walked down the banks of the Jordan. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. But when he got alone and he got isolated in prison, he sent two of his disciples and said, You go ask him if he's really the one or if I should start looking for somebody else. Isolation makes you question things that you never dreamed that you would question. And it makes you hate things that you always thought you would love. And it makes you love things that you always thought you would hate. I'm preaching to somebody in here already this morning. Unforgiveness toward others. Towards God. How many things has God been held accountable for that God had nothing to do with? How could you serve a God that lets bad things happen to good people? Folks, I want to tell you, bad things are going to happen to good people whether God's in it or not. That's life. I made up my mind it don't matter how pure I live, how godly, how righteous, how holy, how separated I am. I'm going to go through trials. It's going to happen. I know godly people that have lost loved ones that I, I really thought the Lord should have raised them up and let them live. Good people, godly people, they've had loss. That doesn't make them bad, and it doesn't make God forgetful. Instead of looking at it as, well, I guess God just wanted to take them, we've got to look at it as this. Death is coming to all of us. It's appointed unto man wants to die, and if I'm going to go through the brokenness and loss of a loved one, I'd rather know that at least he's with me. David said, I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil because he is with me. So being forgiven and forgiving others is the only way that we can truly live. I wish I had something really deep for you this morning, but I think I'm just going to do surgery for just a few minutes. It's the only way that we can truly be free. Free to love, free to connect, free to enjoy relationships with others and ourselves. When we don't forgive, we might as well be physically bound to a dead weight, to a dead body that we drag around into everything we do and everywhere we go. I started, this message started being birthed in me some time ago. I was preaching in Los Angeles. And while I was there preaching in uh, Los Angeles, the pastor that I was preaching for, I had my family with me, and he said, I'd like to take you guys up to Simi Valley. And uh, he said, the uh, Ronald Reagan Presidential Library is there, I'd like to take you guys up and show you around. All he had to say to me was that Air Force One was there. And I got to go walk around in the airplane, that was a good deal, Air Force One. But I, I, I walked in, and uh, they, they took me. To get the deal when you go to leave, you have to walk through the bookstore. That's never good for me. It's not, it's not good for me to walk through bookstores. And so they had, they had just released the edited versions, to my understanding. They, they were, it was the new uh, version of President Reagan's journals that he had kept. He'd never journaled in his life, but he started journaling the day of his inauguration when he was elected to be president. And so I picked that up and began to read some of the journals in it. And on the, on the front page, of course, it's a, a book that's written in regular text. But in the, the front two pages, in the cover, it's actually the, his handwritten journal. It's pages out of his handwritten journal in his handwriting. It was just copied in from his personal handwriting. 
And uh, so I thought, you know, it's kind of a good place to start. I, I want to see, see what he was saying in his own handwriting. And I, I was so surprised that on the first page, inside the cover, the laminated paper that's on the cover, they put in the day of his journal entry that he was shot. And he said that he, he walked out of the hotel and he, he walks through the whole deal. I won't bore with the story. He said, I walked out and we turned to the left. And he suggested we stepped out into the light. He said, I heard gunshots go off. And he said, the secret serviceman threw me uh, into the car. And he said, I heard the loud boom. And when I hit the car, he said, I thought for sure I had broken my rib that had punctured my lung. They laid on top of me. He said, it was terrible pain. He said, they put me in the car and I pulled myself up on the seat. And he's, this is all his handwriting. He said, I... I was having a hard time catching my breath. It was terrible. He said, that's when one of them looked at me and said, sir, you've been shot. He said, I realized that I'd been shot. And I thought this was kind of interesting because in his handwriting, he just had this one deal. He said, getting shot hurts. <laughs> it's like, maybe the deepest thing you ever say, Mr. President. Getting shot hurts. He said, he said it hurt when I got shot. He said... I closed my eyes because I was having a difficult time catching my breath. He said I was breathing deeply. But the deeper I breathed, the less breath I was getting. He said I sat in the car just doing my best to catch my breath. He said my fear was growing because no matter how hard I tried to breathe, it seemed I was getting less and less air. He said they took me into the hospital on the cart. And I focused on the tiled ceiling and I prayed. He said, but as I prayed, and I want you to listen to me this morning. It was worth the whole trip and buying the book for me to preach this one thing to you today. He said, I focused on the tile ceiling and I prayed for me. I couldn't breathe. He said, I started praying. But I realized I couldn't ask for God's help. While at the same time, I felt hatred for the mixed up young man who had shot me. Isn't that the meaning of the lost sheep? We are all God's children and therefore equally beloved by him. I began to pray for his soul and that he would find his way back into the fold. He said, I'm laying there. I'm dying saying, God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. He said, but as I'm asking God to heal me, the Lord began to deal with me. I can't heal you while you hate him. I want to tell you that forgiveness is very interesting. Forgiveness is something that we've got to learn to let operate in our lives. Forgiveness is not the power. It is not the power to say that you've forgiven somebody. Forgiveness is the ability to see somebody blessed that you're offended at and it doesn't offend you anymore when you see God bless them. You haven't forgiven somebody because you can say you've forgiven somebody. You have forgiven somebody when you can bless that somebody. When you can pray that God restores that person and restores their joy and whatever's missing in their life, God will restore that unto them. I'm telling you, it, it's a different day and time in your life when it brings you joy to see broken people healed that have hurt you. Oh, God help me this morning. 
I like to draw from a sermon that I preached one time on the 23rd Psalm. And it came to me. I'll get to my sermon in just a minute, but it, it came to me in the sermon that I had preached, The Lamb's Dilemma on the 23rd Psalm, about the table when David said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. How many of you are familiar with that scripture? Yeah. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. I thought, that's, I don't, I mean, okay, cool. God feeds you in your enemy's watch, I guess. You know, I mean, cool, it's great. But I began to study and research that. I, I, I wanted to know what was David really talking about. I mean, David is writing this as the lamb. God is his shepherd. I mean, what's the point of the table? And so I began to study some old rabbinic writings about the 23rd Psalm. Of course, they love David. And I began to study some rabbinic writings on the 23rd Psalm. And for the first time in my life, this table looked so different than it ever had. They said that as they were training young men who had plans to be rabbis, they wanted to be involved in the ministry, that the old rabbi who was training the young man to become a teacher of the Word of God, they said that they would take these young men and, and set them down while they're teaching them the Word and they would have them close their eyes. And they would say to them, Now I want you to imagine the most beautiful table that you have ever set. I want you to set it with the finest of china. I want you to set it with the finest of utensils. I want it to be the most beautiful table that you have ever set. And I want you to make it a big table. And so they walk them through this whole deal. I want you to set this beautiful table. These guys are preparing for the ministry of the word. Why are they talking about tables? Maybe it will make sense to you. He said that as a young man sits there and he's got this beautiful table prepared and set with the most exquisite and extravagant food and place settings. He said, now I want you to imagine that every seat at the table is filled with people that have hurt you. I want you to prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. He said, they tell these young men, as you prepare the best that you have, I want you to set down at the table the people that have hurt you the most. He said, and then I want you to go around the table and I want you to look each and every one of these people in the eye. And I want you to say to them, thank you for making me what I am. Thank you for your investment in my life. Because I wouldn't have the character I have if I hadn't been through what I've been through. Are you hearing me? David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. What does that mean? That means you can never truly understand the service in the house of the Lord forever until you're willing to sit down at the table with people that have broken you and say, thank you, I bless you in Jesus' name. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you that all this time in your life, you thought forgiveness was freeing them. But the truth is that forgiveness has been freeing you. God has been so good. Forgiveness. Y'all doing okay? I know I'm moving a little slow on Sunday morning. Forgiveness. Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? He said, no. Seventy times seven. Four hundred and ninety times. And I don't believe that was an exact number for, for that reason. I don't believe the Lord was saying that at four hundred and ninety, you're done. 
I believe the Lord was, 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 was somehow expounding on the thought, well, should I do it seven times? No, 70 times seven. In other words, whatever is necessary to be sure that you're free, do it. If it takes you all day, all week, all month, whatever you got to do, you got to be free. Because if the sun sets you free, oh, I feel the preacher coming on me right here. You can never be free from them until you're free from yourself. Forgiveness is not for the benefit of those that have hurt me. It's for the benefit of me saying God has worked in my life in spite of everything you've tried. In spite of every weapon that has been formed, it has still never prospered. Forgiveness. <laughs> as Jesus, as Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, and we can walk through the whole thing, but it's Sunday morning, don't have time. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, earth as it is in heaven. He gets to this part and he says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I really think that the modern version of this scripture to us would say, forgive me my debts and then I'll forgive them. But Jesus said, I want you to pray, forgive me my debts as I forgive. Because he realizes sometimes it's a work in progress. I'm doing my best to let this go, but I can never be forgiven. Oh God, I wish this wasn't so simple to somebody. I can never be forgiven until I'm willing to forgive. Lead us not into temptation. This is Matthew 6 and 13. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. You think this is, the, this is the end of the prayer that he's teaching. But watch what he goes right back in verse 14 and starts hammering it out. Of all the things he taught in prayer when he gets to 6 and 14 right after the amen. Somebody say right after the amen. He said after you're done praying I want to teach you something. Because now you're ready to receive. You've prayed and your heart is open. He said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to step out today on a very, very, very thin, thin, thin. I know it's a very thin branch as I'm standing on this tree. But I want to tell you that the reason some of you have lived your life for God feeling so unforgiven is because you don't understand the power of forgiveness. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But the reason some of us can never understand how and why he can forgive us is because we still haven't learned the value of forgiving others. Woo. I'll break it down, Pastor. What Jesus really saying is pretty simple. He said, if you don't forgive can't be forgiven so what's this have to do with where we are well I'm glad you asked it's a great question because it's Yom Kippur this is the time where in the Jewish mind in the Jewish feast they come together to be sure that their name is written in the book that's what it's all about you've got from from Rosh Hashanah the feast of trumpets to Yom Kippur the day of atonement 
It's the high and holy days. They call it the ten days of awe. This is the time where they spend for ten days reflecting, being sure that there's nothing in their lives. But they have, they have to get this in their minds. If you have any unforgiveness in your heart, then your sins can't be forgiven. Now, folks, I don't want to take this off of the deep end of the pool, but you've got to understand the power of this feast and why I'm dealing with this today. So when their sins are to be atoned, Old Testament, when their sins are to be atoned, they have to do it through sacrifice. Are you with me? And so the priest, oh, God, have mercy. This is so beautiful. So the priest has to get two goats that look exactly the same. They have to look exactly the same. If one's solid black with a white chest, the other one has to be solid black with a white chest. They've got to look exactly the same. They've got to be exact. Everybody say exactly the same. And he'll stand there among the people. If this starts triggering a New Testament passage in your mind, so be it. But he's, he stands there. The high priest stands there. And he puts his hands on the heads of these two goats that look exactly the same. they got the same nature. Same thing. And he says, which one will it be? And whichever one the crowd points at and says, we want that, we want that one. Then that one becomes a sacrifice and the other becomes a scapegoat. Now, I'm not going to make you snoring Greek and dreaming Hebrew, but I want to take you somewhere where there's two identical men that are standing before a crowd. And they've been yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so the man steps up and he said, well, which one do you want? Somebody yelled to me the name of the one. They said, release who? Barabbas. Now, I'm going to break this down for you. We're going Gerber style on this. I'm not, I'm not jumping in the deep end. Bar Abba. Everybody say that with me. Bar Abba. Barabbas. Bar Abba. You know what that means? When someone says Simon Bar Jonah, you know what that means? Son of Jonah. You know what Bar Haba means? Barabbas? Son of the Father. You got the Son of the Father. And the Father who had to come as a son, if he's going to redeem sons, got the Son of the Father and the Son of the Father. He puts his hands on them and says, Which one do you want? They say, We want that one. Well, then this one will be the sacrifice. Washes his hands. In the Old Testament, at the moment that they decide, I want this one to be sacrificed, and I want that one to be the scapegoat. Anybody here ever heard of the scapegoat? Yeah. Scapegoat. This is, this is crazy. But the scapegoat, is, is a, it's an interesting deal. I like to read stuff that's probably boring to most people. But I began to research this. What's this all about? So we've got two goats. Everybody say two goats. I know more than that. There's a lot of goats around here. I got a text from, I'm going to tell you which bishop it was the other day. Don't go here. I got a text from a bishop the other day. He said, preach good, son. I said, I'm going to do my best. He said, just feed the sheep, ignore the goats. That doesn't mean I ignored you because I think you're a goat, so don't. We got two goats. On one, he puts a rock that says, Lazazel, the other, La Adonai, unto God, unto the wilderness, scapegoat, unto God. This one's going to be sacrificed, this one we're going to let go. 
unto God. La Adonai, La Zazel. Send them out. But the scapegoat, are y'all bored yet? If you've ever wondered where Isaiah, like recontextually, where does Isaiah get it that sin is red as scarlet? I mean, where does that come from? I'll tell you in the Jewish mind where it comes from. It comes from Yom Kippur. Because the, 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 the goat that's going to be led into the wilderness and thrown off of the cliff, they would take a red scarlet thread of yarn and would tie around the head of the goat. Now, I know this sounds crazy to you, but if you look it up, you'll find it. That in Jewish history, at Yom Kippur, this is what they would do after they finished the temple in Jerusalem. The way that the people in the city would know on the Sabbath that the scapegoat had died and that their sin had been dealt with. I don't know how this works. It's kind of like the Urim and the Thummim in the Old Testament. And I don't want to lose you here, but there's some things that only God can do. But they would tie the red string, red as scarlet, on the head of the goat. And they would tie a string just like it on the door of the temple in Jerusalem. And when the scapegoat was dead and had died, they claim historically, read it for yourself, this is not Bible, it's historically, that the red scarlet thread on the door of the temple would turn white before their eyes. And they knew that their sins had been pushed ahead for a year because though their sin was red as scarlet, it had been washed white as snow. Well, I got to reading on this. And these rabbis were confounded. God have mercy. It's all I can do to stay in my skin right now. They said because approximately 40 years before Jerusalem was destroyed, they said for the last 40 years or so, before the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, they said for some reason the scarlet thread never turned white again. Let's do a little math. The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Jesus Christ was crucified in 33 A.D. That's right at 40 years. They were confounded. They said, we don't understand why the thread stopped turning white. I'll tell you why. Because Yom Kippur was fulfilled in the death of one man. You want to know why? Because my sin that was red as scarlet... You don't tell it on the door of the temple anymore. It's on the walls of my heart that everything the devil tried to do to me, Jesus said, I've taken care of it. I've washed your sin. I know what the traditions of men are. I've read the historical accounts. I've read what Josephus said about it. And I know they're still in amazement. But what Jesus was trying to show them is it's not going to take a scapegoat any longer. It's not going to take Ladonai any longer because Barabbas has laid down his life for his friend. Can I tell you? The exact time that that, that that red scarlet thread stopped working, can I tell you? When Jesus hung his head on the Passover in the spring and he said, it is finished. I make you a guarantee that if they, if they were going to start measuring, that by, the, by, the next, uh, that by that fall when the feast began and they got to the fall feast, of the Feast of Trumpets with Rosh Hashanah. They all tied that red string on at Yom Kippur after they'd had 10 days of awe. I want to tell you where it all changed. It changed after he said, it's finished. The next feast was different 
Because everything they were trying to fix had already been fixed. God have mercy. And he didn't wait to fix me until I got it all together. But the apostle said that while we were yet sinners. Hey, I want to tell you something. God is not intimidated by the sin that's in your life because he knew it was finished before you did. I'm here to reach for somebody and I'm quickly coming to a close today. I'm here to reach for somebody. I want to tell you that Yom Kippur doesn't mean the same thing to me that it did to the priesthood in the Old Testament. It looks different to me on this side of the cross. And while, while it, they still look at it as one day a year for atonement. And while it is true that tonight is sundown, Yom Kippur begins here. I want to tell you that atonement is not locked in to a day of the year. Atonement is locked into the willing heart that's willing to open up your life. And say, God, whatever I need to forgive, I want to forgive God, whatever I need to do, I want to release it because by your grace and your mercy, you have brought me here to this moment. I want to tell you, you don't have to wait for Yom Kippur to be sure that your name is written down in the book. But your name can be written in the book today. Your name can be written in the book today. What should we do then, Peter? He said, repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. That's a word they couldn't use before. Because this is not just my sin being pushed ahead for a year. He said now your sins can be remitted. Peter wanted them to know during the feast of Pentecost that Yom Kippur has come and gone. But I want you to know that today, right now, your sins can be forgiven. This place today a revelation of repentance. Repentance is not just the prayer you pray. Repentance is what happens in your life the moment that you realize to whom much has been forgiven. Oh, God. Is there anybody in here that knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's been better to you than you've been to you? Is there anybody in here? I'm not here to cast stones at all. I'm just curious, is there anybody in here at all today that knows you're not here because you deserve it? <laughs> you're here because he's long-suffering. I want to tell you today, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we have the law as our schoolmaster. And I'm so glad that we have the scripture to give us understanding. But I'm also glad to tell you today. That this Yom Kippur is different than anything they ever experienced in the Old Testament. Because today is the day of salvation. Today. God have mercy. If you're watching online, today is the day. Today is the day of your salvation. Brother St. Clair, you don't know where I've been. Brother St. Clair, you don't know the things that I've done. Brother St. Clair, you don't know the harm that I've caused. Pastor, you don't understand. Hey, I want to tell you, God is not intimidated by the mess that you've made. But his mercy is greater than your mess. As you remain standing this morning, I don't know that there's anything else I could say today 
that could move the hearts of men and women to repentance. But I've come in this house today with a heavy burden. I told my wife this morning when she walked out in the living room, she said, did you rest? I said, no, I was restless all night. I'm going to tell you why I was restless all night. Because there's somebody that's walked in the doors of this house today that the Lord was dealing with you last night to be in the house of the Lord. But I want to tell you, please don't think I'm trying to be ugly. But this is not just a church where you come and we tick off and count how many's here just so that we have rear ends and seats. I'm not here today to count people in seats. What I'm here to do today is to add people's name to the book. Whether your name is on the book of this church or not, that's not my goal. I thank God for you. But I'm not just here today to make members. I'm here today to make sons and daughters. Because the enemy wants you to believe that you're undeserving. But today I want to tell you, when you hide behind that crimson stream of blood, he can't see your failures. He can't see your past. He can't see what you were. He has to call you what you are. And today you are forgiven. It's finished. It's over. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus said it is finished. So now what we're looking for is somebody in this house today that will say, Pastor St. Clair, I'm finished. I'm finished running from God. I'm finished running from His presence. And today I want to give God the rest of my life. Come on, are you here this morning? I'm tired of running from God. I'm finished. I'm finished. Come on, you've had your fun. You've had your fun. Come home. You've ran your mile. Come home. Oh, God. Spirit of God is reaching for you today. I can promise you there's nothing more important than what God is trying to do in your heart right now. There's nothing more important than what God is trying to do in your life today. Pastor, I got some memories I want to make and some things I want to do. It's not worth it. Come home to the Father's house today. Come on, it's worth it. And you are worthy today by His blood. Come on home. There's nothing more important than your kids being in the house of God. Nothing more important than your family being in the house of God.
house today let's just submit our hearts to the Lord could we I want us to just lift our hands to Jesus come on don't be distracted today lift your hands to the Lord let him deal with your heart you may have wandered away from him today but you're not as far away as you think you are you're not as far as you think you are today <laughs> Woo! Come on, you're closer than you think today. Oh, God. I want you to hear my heart today. I was given some counsel this week to another pastor friend of mine that had reached out, was going through a hard season with some people that had walked away. And the Lord spoke to me while I was talking to this pastor. And he took me to Luke 15, Brother Grisham, where the prodigal son is. And he said, the coin was lost in the house, but they had to go find the coin because the coin don't have a personality. The coin was just dropped. They found the coin. He said, the lamb wandered away, but the lamb didn't know it was lost because it's a lamb. So the shepherd had to go get the lamb and bring it back. He didn't know it was lost. I said, well, the Lord didn't. What about the father? Because the boy, that's eternal. And I want you to hear me. The Lord spoke to me this week. I've been chewing on this, chewing on this. I had no plan of using it today because at some point I'm going I'm to preach about it. I said, God, why, why, did, why didn't the dad, when that boy was standing there talking to him, 
saying, you give me what belongs to me. It's mine. I'm going to take it. I'm going to do what I want with it. I said, why didn't the dad say something? In the record, he don't say anything. And this is the reason. He said, because the dad knew if what he had to say wasn't good enough to keep him home, then what he had to say wasn't good enough to make him want to come back home. I don't care how good somebody preaches it. If what I'm preaching to you today isn't good enough to make you want to stay home, you can't be upset when you leave and say, not one person called me. Not one minister reached out to me. You know why? Because if what we said today isn't good enough to make you want to stay home, it ain't going to be good enough to make you want to come home. When that, when that boy came to himself, I've heard people say it time after time after time. I can't even feel the embrace of God where I'm at. I don't feel like I can even feel God. Well, I want to tell you, that boy couldn't feel the embrace of his father in a pig pen. You know where he felt his embrace? When he came back to where the father was standing. And when he came close, the Bible said while he was yet a far way off, that his father took off running after him and embraced him. If you can't feel God this morning, come a little closer. He's been waiting on you. He's waiting. Come home. All who are weary, come home. Can we pray one more time, church? I know it's 12. Can we just pray one more time? I would hate to think that somebody was about to make an eternal decision. But we got in a hurry. Come on, one more time. 